Welcome to Talk Dizzy to Me, the show that brings you a comprehensive look into the complex field of dizziness. Now here are your hosts, vestibular physical therapist, Dr. Abby Ross and Dr. Danielle Tate. Welcome back to Talk Dizzy to Me. I'm one of your hosts, Abby Ross, joined today by Dr. Danny Tate. We're both vestibular physical therapists. And today we have back on the show a fan favorite, Dr. <laughs> Bay, to talk about actually a topic that we get a lot of questions about in our on our social media platforms and requests to do a podcast about. So thank you so much, Dr. Bay. You're coming on to talk to us about MDDS, Malde Debarkment Syndrome. Pleasure. Thank you for having me so soon. <laughs> we just couldn't get enough. They won't leave me alone. <laughs> it's okay. Well, you're such a wealth of knowledge for vestibular migraine. You are our go-to person. And, you know, looking into Malde Debarkment, there is a very strong correlation between MDDS and vestibular migraine and 3PD. So I think this is very fitting to have you on to talk about this today, because I'm sure you probably see it a lot more often than we do in the clinic. So this would be great. A fair number, a fair number. But, you know, a lot of the, quite a few of the patients, actually, the diagnosis is made by our vestibular therapist. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't we start off? Why don't you give us um, how you explain MDDS to your patients? You know, what is kind of like in lay terms, what this condition is, and then we can kind of dig in a little bit more into what it actually involves. I always tell my patients they have the French disease. The one that, <laughs> wonderful French name for it. Um, I just, I boil it down to telling them that it's one of the more unusual conditions, more unusual uh, vestibular conditions where for some reason, the brain believes that it is in motion, although it's not supposed to be in motion. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's kind of the essence of uh, MDDS. Absolutely. And especially after they, this typically comes on after somebody has gone on a cruise or they've been on long periods of traveling, like a boat, a plane, a train. Sometimes they took a plane to get to their cruise ship and then did island excursions, got back on the boat and came back on a plane. And all of a sudden it felt like they never got off the boat or the plane or whatever auto you know um, transportation they were on. So typically there's a, some precipitating event of travel or movement that kind of clicks the brain into this mode of we're still moving and we need to adjust that just never quite goes away would that would you say that's about right absolutely yeah like you know the basically yeah the, absolutely the brain adapts to the motion of um, whatever it's on right a plane a car a train you know, a long car ride and then for some reason it never returns to you know the earth stable environment you know why that happens to some people and not others no one really knows um but i think that definition you know, and it's in the diagnostic criteria, right? That just came out. But I think that definition misses the patients that for some reason they have the spontaneous onset MDDS. You know, for some reason, no exposure to uh, motion, but then they develop these similar manifestations where, you know, they feel as if they are rocking in the sea on a boat, you know, and it gets better when they get in a car. When they get back on the ship or they get on a plane, but, you know, they have no previous exposures to motion. Yeah, I, let's let's cover that diagnostic criteria because, to be honest, I actually had to look this up myself to see what that classifying information was, and they just came out with this, I think, in 2020 mm -hmm. with the Baronese Society. So first, it's non-spinning vertigo characterized by oscillatory perception, so rocking, swaying, or bobbing that's constantly there um, mm -hmm. for most of the day. 
It occurs within 48 hours of expose, exposure to passive motion. Um, symptom, and this is the big one. I think this is the big determining factor for MDDS, but symptoms temporarily reduce with exposure to passive motion. So like getting back in a car or a boat or a plane. And then symptoms continue for longer than 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, this is persistent. La- symptoms can last for months, even more longer than a month. You can have some episodes that are more transient that resolve at or before a one month, but they're still in this long extended period of time. Um, and it's, uh, some people could be coming to us, you know, within that first month period, which is where we're in evolution. Um, but also it's a diagnosis by exclusion, right? We've ruled everything else out. And these factors make it clear that this is, you know, our our situation, but that could be, that could be a little bit complicated with things like migraine. Absolutely. I think that the whole diagnosis of uh, exclusion thing is a little bit, you know, tricky there because, you know, then people get misled into thinking that, oh, you know, it's kind of the trash can diagnosis where, all right, it's not, this is not, this is not this. And so, you know, the only thing left is MTDS, right? You have MTDS, right? <laughs> you know, but MTDS, it's, it is pretty characteristic. You know, they have this sense of, you know, oscillatory movement. So back and forth movement, up and down, side to side, forwards and backwards, right? Or a combination of all of that. Um, but the weird thing about it is, you know, it gets better when you like, are exposed to passive motion. Again, so, you know, a car and all that. You know, I think once you get that history, you know, it's no not really a diagnosis of exclusion anymore. You know, with those that pattern there, that's so characteristic of MDDS. You'd be like, you got MDDS. Agreed. A hundred percent agree with that. And you see that little clause at the end of diagnostic criteria for migraine and 3PD. Like let's rule and veneers. Let's rule everything else out. When in reality, a lot of those things can happen in combination or in tandem with one another. Exactly. Um, so it, it's interesting for, for you to bring up that point. Cause you're right. Like if I hear somebody have these, these issues with motion, but it's resolved by movement, I immediately think MDDS. When when I'm listening to a patient's story, that's really what clues me into MDDS versus 3PD. If it's been going on for a while, that it actually gets better with motion. Because sometimes you will hear in 3PD the same sort of symptom, like I feel mm-hmm. rocking. Um, and it's been going on for a while if it's that type of MDDS. But when they say, but I feel better when I get in the car, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas uh, 3PD, people typically tend to feel worse when they're ambulatory or up Mm -hmm. and moving and doing things. So their symptoms are provoked by the things that typically make people feel better with MDDS, which is a big uh, way to kind of differentiate between the two. Absolutely. I think that's also an important point where people who have uh, MDDS, they actually prefer to be moving around. You know, a lot of the patients say, hey, you know, I do feel better when I'm walking around versus if, you know, I'm in the kitchen and I have to stand completely still while I'm prepping, you know, or you, that to me also points a lot towards MDDS. Now, fascinating thing is some actually find that, you know, if they walk at a particular cadence that matches their rocking, then that makes them feel even better. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I think we'll we'll get into this a little bit more later in the episode. But Dr. Dai's work in the field yep. of MDDS, um, they his team did a big presentation up at Mount Sinai um, at a research pre- uh, uh, presentation or weekend um, back in 2019, where they talked about his work and the protocols that went into figuring out how to make these people feel better and how to basically go against the type of rocking and sweat. It was mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing how specific this can be, but you're absolutely right. They found that matching that person's frequency of swaying or rocking optimized treatment. 
um, yep. which is just very difficult to do after listening to what they had to do to, to match that. Yeah. So props to them. <laughs> I don't completely understand how they do it, but apparently, you know, they, the reasoning I think is you reverse, you match the frequency and then you hit them with a movement that reverses. In reverse, yeah. Yep. So are they more anterior posterior? Are they more lateral sway? Is there any sort of uh, orthogonal uh, direction to this? They yep. figure that out, they look at their posturography and then they put them in a full field optokinetic in, they, in reverse. So they try to find the frequency of this and then they hit nope. the optokinetics in reverse, which I was like, there's no way I can replicate yep. this. Not only that, they have to rock the head too. So they, yes. uh, I think if it's if it's the rock in an opposite thing, direction, they to, yeah, they have to yeah. go side to side or something. It's I don't fully understand. If anyone wants it, I think, go see Doctor Yakushin in Mount Sinai. Yeah, yeah, we will we will link that. We'll link this his study as well as the information on how you can get in touch with a patient coordinator because I do know they have appointments available where you can go up and spend two weeks up there and undergo his treatment protocol because it is so specific. I, it's nothing that we can really recreate. Yep. What are you looking for in a patient to, is there something to look for, I should say, in a patient to know if that type of treatment could work or is it just let's try it? Because I do have some patients who found that that protocol helped, but then I have others that say it didn't do anything for me, although maybe I'm seeing them because it didn't do anything for them and I'm not seeing the ones that it helped, you know? That's true. Um, but is there something to look for in a patient that would clue you into, oh, okay, let me send you to Mount Sinai? So personally, personally, I suspect that the classic motion-triggered MDDS would do really well with that. Because, you know, in the first place, what happened is for some reason, the brain had gotten entrained to the motion or whatever the person was on. So, you know, that treatment, I think, will help with that type of uh, MDDS. Now, then the controversy comes in where, you know, you bring up spontaneous onset MDDS, right, right which, you know, is non-motion-triggered. I suspect that group of patients may not respond as well as with the motion-triggered MDDS. Um, I don't have many patients who have gone to Mount Sinai, so you know I can't. Really, it's hard to make a comparison there, but you know just based on what I've seen and the few that have gone, the motion-triggered ones tend to you know respond well. The spontaneous onset ones, for some reason, don't respond as well. Now, if you use the current diagnostic criteria, then our spontaneous onset friends won't be uh, considered MDDS anymore. That's a good point. Um, so let's back up because we'll get more into um, treatment. But let's talk about um, symptoms and things that might potentially trigger um, what's going on. So this patient comes in, we cover the history that we expect to, to, to hear. Um, what are some things that we notice as far as who this affects and what's triggering that? What kind of symptoms are they complaining of, um, even just besides the rocking and swaying constantly? So a lot of them also report, um, for lack of a better term, but a lot of patients use this term, uh, trampoline walking. Now, some describe, you know, the ground feels mushy when they're walking on it. So you know, they sink, their feet sink into the ground when they're walking on it. Um, quite a few actually also describe um, pooling. So, you know, it can be pooling in one direction. It can be pooling downwards. You know, that gravitation, quote unquote, gravitational pool seems, you know, to be quite an interesting feature. Um, the others seem more... Not so, not so specific. So, you know, you do have the ones that are, you know, cannot stand head movement, um, the ones who cannot stand, you know, certain visual stimuli. I do wonder if those people, if 
MOPD side of things already, right? Um, you know, then you have the ones with light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, you know, those I also somewhat wonder if, you know, it's more migraineous type of manifestations are beginning in that uh, patient group. Yeah, that's a good point. And I know there's still like that typical um, anxiety, more type A personality type of a person that's in on that. And again, you're right with exactly, exactly with the uh, potential light you know, sensitivity, sound sensitivity does sound like migraine, but doesn't quite meet all the criteria, uh, diagnostic criteria for migraine. Um, I thought it was really interesting looking at the Barony study or the classification about how this affected mostly women, almost overwhelmingly. They, they said reported anywhere between 75 to 100% of people with MDDS um, tend to be women. Absolutely. Uh, which was interesting. And then possible triggering factors could also include hormonal influences like going into menopause or um, just perimenstrual states, which again, too, we also see with migraine. Yes. Or pregnancy. Or pregnancy. Yeah. 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 So I have seen patients in whom it kicks up after pregnancy or, you know, I've had patients who had very well controlled MDDS before. And then, you know, after delivery, everything flares up again for some reason. That's interesting. So what do you do? So we're not, I mean, realistically, you know, sending people to Mount Sinai is difficult unless you're in New York and you're around the are <laughs> able to get there. Um, you know, what are you doing for your MDDS patients? So I find the interesting part, and again, this may be, you know, a little controversial if you want to follow the uh, Barani Society um, <clears throat> uh, classification or the diagnostic criteria, right? So what I find to be the more interesting thing is to differentiate them into two groups. Number one is the group with uh, vestibular migraine and number two, the group without vestibular migraine. Um, I think we, so we published that last year in uh, Laryngoscope about, you know, differentiating these two groups of MDDS patients. So, you know, what I've seen is that people who have both vestibular migraine and MDDS tend to have much worse symptoms to start off with. Right. The DHI scores are far higher. The reported impact on their jobs are much higher. Um, anxiety levels much higher as well. The interesting thing is that, you know, they also seem to do better in terms of treatment. You know, the most of them tend to do better with, uh, you know, migraine type of treatments, whereas the classic, you know, MDDS or, you know, even spontaneous onset MDDS without uh, any vestibular migraine features, you know, Although the uh, symptoms are not as severe to start off with, they tend to do more poorly. You know, they don't respond to treatment as well from what I've seen so far. Um, the usual treatments, you know, definitely are like you know, antidepressant medications, the benzodiazepines, you know, we use those quite um, frequently in MDDS. The difference I say I would say is, you know, those with features of vestibular migraine, I would also use uh, migraine uh, preventive uh, treatments for them. Now, could we potentially use migraine preventive treatments in people with uh, without features of vestibular migraine? Definitely. That's very possible there. Um, you know, it's just that, you know, we haven't done um, a study just to look specifically to see, you know, if you treat an MDDS patient who has no features of vestibular migraine, if you treat them with a migraine preventive, would they still get better? We don't know. Interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. So, you know, in my experience in VRT, I don't know. MDDS is a tough one. What is your <laughs> thought on recommending VRT for these types of patients? Or does it vary depending on the symptoms that they present with? It, I think it varies. So, you know, if you talk about just the rocking itself, that's a tough one. I agree. Just the rocking, swaying, bobbing, 
I don't think you know traditional VRT would helps them that much. Now, if they start to develop like you know head motion trigger dizziness, if they start to develop like features of triple PD, or if they start to do you know unusual types of walking, you know because of the rocking, then I think that's when you know VRT becomes very useful to help them get out of those patterns. I think that's a good point. I I recently had an MDVS patient who. Um, found me through, I think, the Vita uh, uh, provider directory, right? And then we talked for a little bit and he ended up being local to where I was working up in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And it was interesting. He had that bobbing, bobbing, swaying, rocking, which, you know, I try to set expectations and go, I'm not really sure if I'm going to be able to help with that at all. But after doing a full evaluation, found some other deficits like difficulty with head movements during gait and it's kind of functional balance stuff. And as we progressed through treatment, we did a lot of um, habituation, but we also did a lot of um, like vestibular, you know, rehab and just functional balance on different surfaces. Functionally looks so much better. He could finally stand with his eyes closed and be still, you know, looking at him. He could stand on foam and not be swaying and moving all over the place and trying to catch himself. But internally, he felt exactly the same. <laughs> so whether or not we consider that successful treatment, I'm not sure. He felt grateful that he was walking better and that he was able to function more, but he still had those symptoms that brought him into my clinic. And that's where we go, okay, like we, I set the expectations from day one. I said, I'm not sure if we're gonna be able to do this. Here's what I'm finding. Let's see if we can fix that. And then we'll go from there. And yeah. um, he actually, I believe, might be going up to Mount Sinai. He's been looking into going into um, doing a, a couple of weeks up there. So mm -hmm. I'm still waiting to hear back. But it was just interesting when we get these calls for MDDS patients, we usually free. This is the one diagnosis where I'm like, oh, like, yeah. can, I, can <laughs> I really do something about this? Because I know the reason why they're coming in is not going to be the thing I particularly help with. Yep. Uh, so there's a lot of patient education there. And if only every state had a guru like you that we could get people to, uh, I think that would be extremely helpful. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do Dr. Dye's treatment. Oh, no, but even just medical management, yep. you know, it's amazing how many people, one, don't specialize and treat migraine or 3PD patients or MDDS patients well. They don't become, they don't get diagnosed easily. And by the time they do, it's very chronic. And it's usually at some clinic where they don't do um, regular follow-ups. It's more of like a, let's do every test under the sun, get you diagnosed, and then have you figure out where to go. It's that medical management that I think a lot of people miss out on because drugs can be extremely helpful, the right set of drugs and the right approach mm -hmm. to treatment. And unfortunately, that is not um, comprehensive everywhere. So that could be, I think, part of the missing link of people that suffer from MDDS is having that. That is true. You know, I've seen the few patients, they've actually been diagnosed with MDDS, you know, by a physician, but then they're yeah, told nothing can be done. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nope. You know, I should give a shout out here too. She'll be on our show soon as well. But Dr. Catherine Cho is very ah, good hey, at NYU. The this guru week. of MDDS. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you're in New York, Dr. Catherine Cho is also another good yep. resource. But, you know, Danny, I think sometimes our role too, and we've talked about this before, is more the educational piece. Mm -hmm. We might not be able to help the rocking per se. I did have one patient though, miraculously. I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did, but when her other deficits and symptoms went away, so did the rocking. So I was like, all right, I don't know, but we're, we're going with it. 
Um, well, it can it can spontaneously resolve, correct? Like, I mean, this is something that can go away in a year, or it could be present for ten years. It's hard to say. I th I think the one of the original studies they showed six months to be the uh, six months to be the cutoff time. So you know, once it persisted beyond six months, the chances of spontaneous remission very low. Wow, I, I yeah. did not know that. That's a good thing yeah, to. That's a really good thing to know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's without treatment, though. Yeah. Yep. So that's yeah. you know that's also something I remind our patients, you know, saying that you know they because they read the same thing and then they think, oh my God, I've had this for more than six months. I'm gonna live with this my whole life. So you never have to remind them that was a study done without treatment. And so you know, I tell them there's no studies yet into you know like if you treat it, you know, um, is there a particular duration uh, during which you know it won't go away or will it go away? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. What percentage would you say of patients that you see do you actually diagnose with MDDS? It's more lately for some reason. Um, I'm noticing it a bit more. I think it just could be sampling error. But, you know, lately I've seen at about 20% of the patients I've seen lately in the last, I would say, three months, you know, have been uh, MDDS diagnosis. It may be because we're sending you everyone we can't help. <laughs> could be. Could be. <laughs> now, I mean, this is something that I, that well, so that's what I want to touch on. This is something that I've kind of, um, I keep coming back to, but I think we keep seeing this new skew of data and diagnoses in vestibular patients because we have not been moving this last year. I mean, COVID has kept people from moving regularly, they've been home, they haven't been out and about, they've been, they haven't been able to participate in the things that they would normally do like group exercise classes and yoga, even something as silly as uh, water aerobics or just walking around their neighborhood, we're not moving. So I feel like there's, there's gotta be some component of people being more affected due to decompensated vestibular systems, potentially. Awesome. Yeah. You know, the stress of, you know, the lockdown too, there's one issue there. You know, they see two populations of patients, I think, when it comes to the vestibular disorders with vestibular migraine. You know, you have the one group that's like, oh my goodness, I'm home, I don't have to go out anymore, I don't have to go to work. Great, everything gets better, right? Then the, there's the other group that, you know, they cannot deal with the stress of being, you know, locked up at home or the stress of having to use, uh, you know, Zoom calls all the time mm -hmm. and the motion and everything on the screen, which, you know, aggravates the symptoms significantly. Well, even the people that I've been loving being at home, now they're saying, oh my God, I haven't been out in the community and living a normal life in so long that going to the store is difficult again, yeah. that they have to like, build this back up. So all of a sudden they got so comfortable being in their bubble, like my symptoms were so manageable. I felt great. And now that I've had to re-enter society, it's like, boom, everything's blowing up again. And they don't, it, it's hard to start all over. Like it's yeah. amazing how COVID has really kind of turned this all on its head, especially after vaccination now with people having issues with tinnitus and dizziness. Mm -hmm. I mean, Abby, people are still commenting on our COVID episode about being dizzy. I'm, there's almost a new comment every day about I no. got the vaccine and now I'm dizzy and going on and on and on. It's, it's amazing. You know, it's, it's a little bit controversial, right? Because well, we don't need to get into the controversy, but <laughs> I think you know it's important to I think address it. So that I, I have questions from patients about the same thing too. Yeah. So in the patients that I have seen, those that actually have caught COVID, you know, uniformly, regardless of whatever condition they have, MDDS, triple PD, or vestibular migraine, 
very all of them suffered much, much, much horrible worsening of their conditions after catching COVID, right? Now, the people who got vaccinated, a small number did actually get worse. So, you know, they, and I, it's related to how they react to the vaccine. So, you know, if they get a more robust uh, immune response, you know, more flu-like symptoms, more fevers and stuff like that, then their symptoms did flare up. So I remind our patients, they say, because, you know, they are afraid of that. I tell them, you know, the ch- okay, if you catch COVID, chances of things getting worse is extremely high, right? But with the vaccination, it's lowish. So mm, you just have to weigh, you just have to weigh, you know, mm-hmm. what, you, what you prefer. Yeah, exactly. We, we, went, we went through great lengths to make sure that we were not telling people not to get vaccinated, that things are going to be significantly worse if you catch COVID. But the fact is that we're starting to see, especially there's different categories that we covered, but my more central vestibular dysfunctional patients tended mm-hmm. to have the reaction following vaccine that knocked them back a couple pegs. But they were able to recover for the most part, but they did have a bit of a different reaction versus people who were getting vaccinated and just having an increased incidence of tinnitus or this weird, very slight um, hypofunction type of appearance. It's just been, I mean, from being in lockdown to decompensating to now having post-COVID symptoms and post-COVID vaccination symptoms, we're looking at a whole new category of people and issues. And it's it's definitely becoming more... um, uh, talked about. People are having raising more awareness about vestibular dysfunction, which has been um, kind of nice to see, but also in the wrong context. We're not, we don't want people to get disease. Yeah. And you know, when a patient asks you, could this be because of my vaccine? I swear it's because of the vaccine. You know, it's hard. You always say, there's no way for me to know exactly, but it's possible. It is possible. And the other thing I wanted to say is those patients that you were mentioning that look more like a hypofunction or, you know, have dizziness with movement now that wasn't there before, they have anecdotally responded well to short courses of VRT. So that is a positive if you're listening to this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know this, this uh, episode, you know, we, we were kind of uh, avoiding it, this topic for a long time, because it is kind of doom and gloom so much so where we can't give them as much hope as curing BPV, but um, you know, MDDS is something that still needs to be vastly studied. It needs to be understood a lot better. And we need to come up with more treatments because we feel so terribly when we can't help patients the way that they want to be helped. Um, I, recovery are good, though. That's the thing. Yes. A lot do get better. You know, it can be tough. It's tougher to treat compared to, say, you know, triple PD or even vestibular migraine. But, you know, I tell my patients still you know, chances of recovery, you know, pretty decent. Yes, especially with a multidisciplinary approach, right? And Abby and I are the first ones to tell you physical therapy is not going to be the only thing that solves this. (laughs) Some some also need like, you know, CBT, you know, psychological, you know, interventions that also would help. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That is a big component as well. Well, Dr. Bay, we thank you so much for joining us on this hot topic. Like I said, you're going to make a lot of people happy because we've been getting asked to do this topic for a long time now. Is there anything that you want to put on the table in terms of where people can find you, website, contact information, what's going on in research world, anything like that? Um, 
Twitter, easiest way to contact me, you know, um, the Dizzy Doc. And, uh, you know, website is uh, vestibularmd.com. Um, you know, the research-wise, I think there's a lot that's very exciting that's going on. You know, one of the interesting things, you know, that's been presented is uh, looking at maybe one of the reasons for MDDS is, you know, somehow it entrains the oscillations in the cerebellum to, uh, you know, the movements of a vehicle. And that's the cause of MDDS, which fascinating right wow. so you know one of those you know i have found to be quite useful for preventing the flare-up for mdds is you know benzos so i do have patients who have to travel frequently a little bit less so during covid right but before covid hit they had to travel for like business and everything give them a little bit of benzos before they travel seems to prevent it from flaring up that's really interesting. That that concept nope. that you mentioned, that was in Dr. Dai, one of Dr. Dai's earlier papers, right? The idea that the VOR has to adapt to movement. Like if you're mm -hmm. on a boat with a rocking, it has to readjust. It just never goes back to the new normal when you hit dry land, right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's, it, it's nuts. <laughs> yep. Thomas Brandt, I think uh, Dr. Brandt in uh, Germany, he also proposed something very fascinating. He said that, you know, I think one of the possible um, reasons for MDDS is a hallucination. It's one of the, it's a vest the vestibular system's hallucination. It's still dreaming that it's on a boat. Wow. <laughs> that is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Very interesting. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> you know, it's fascinating condition. Super fascinating condition. I'm interested to see how our listeners react. You know, depending if we get on a lot of questions or something, maybe we can do a live follow-up uh, uh, episode or something along those lines. But it'll be this will be interesting. You have to ask. I think you're interviewing uh, Cho, Dr. Cho, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. I always get confused whether it's uh, Dr. Cha or Dr. Cho who did the research into uh, transcranial uh, direct current stimulation and uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. That's another interesting application too, where, you know, it would be easier to do than, you know, Dr. Dai's uh, protocol. But I think they, either one of them, I forget who, you know, did those studies where, you know, they zap the um, dorsal lateral prefrontal cortex and, you know, reduce the symptoms. Hmm. Yep. That would be interesting. Fascinating. No. <laughs> yeah, they, got, they got a lot of stuff coming out that's that's really different and interesting and it, it's it seems to be working so whether they're using like an electrical stimulation i've even seen vibration being used to help mitigate motion sickness and dizziness uh there's a device that these guys are working on in dc that it's it very interesting i'm i we should really get them on abby and talk about that that's where, the, where, does, where does it vibrate uh, it's so over the mastoid, uh, either side. Oh. Have you heard of these guys? They're uh, they created something called the Odo Band. They're called they're Odolith Labs, and they're a, a company in DC. And it's, it's something that when I first it was first described to me, I'm like, I don't think this is gonna work. And then it it seems to, it really does seem to help. They're running studies. You know, if you vibrate, you basically are stimulating the uh, peripheral vestibular system. Yep, but very, very low frequency. I think it's, oh, it's low frequency very low much. frequency. You can't even, you can, once it's on for a while, you don't even feel it, you don't hear it. But it's just, it's similar to putting your head against the car window when you're motion sick. Interesting. 
So, and it's, huh. they, so they've already run some preliminary studies. They found that it has greatly reduced people with chronic dizziness by over 50% on their, on their worst days. Um, I've strapped it on and I've laid down the back of the car while reading a book through windy mountainous roads. And I didn't get motion. I mean, I'm sorry. There's a lot of cool stuff coming out and there, we need to have an entire episode just on devices and fun stuff because it's cool. Sounds more fun than the so the skull vibrator I use is uh, even more obnoxious. That one, you know, your eyes also tickle yeah. with the vibration. What, what brand do you use for your skull vibration? Because I use that for for uh, um, skull vibration induced nystagmus testing, and it's hard to find the right one that's at the right power that doesn't look scary to the patients. It's just little Brookstone twenty dollar Brookstone muscle massage. Perfect. They oh, don't yeah. sell it anymore, though, unfortunately. The ones they sell now kind of. They look a little suspicious. Just yeah, getting them on the order uh, list for some companies that I've worked for have given me a lot of dirty looks when they've researched into it. So I've I've been resulting to the little mini massager that occupational well, therapists have been using, but I know it's not as strong as it needs to be um, as some of the other ones that are out there. But I do know like um, Jeff Walter uses uh, the magic wand up uh, at his clinic, and those you pull that yeah. <laughs> pull those things out and <laughs> patient's eyes are like what are you doing with that so i'll have to, I'll have to look into something similar to your brookstone yeah, <laughs> that's funny they used to recommend that for um patients who couldn't pee <laughs> the ms patients when i was doing ms we recommended to our patients for <clears throat> super pubic stimulation to see the bladder yeah it does a great job. It gets the job done for, for testing purposes. But uh, like I said, I usually keep patients with fixation blocked before I uh, put that out to uh, my <laughs> vibrate mastoids. Oh, goodness. All On right. That note, I totally can't believe. <laughs> Thank you so much again, Dr. Bay. This was so much fun. And we, we look forward to anything else that we can talk about with you because it's always been a, a great episode working Triple with you. PD next time. <gasps> Cassidy. Nice. No. We'll give you longer than a month this time, though. We'll touch, we'll touch base in a couple months. Absolutely. Anytime. Triple PD, I think, would be a fun one to talk about. Uh, All thank right. you Thanks so much, much Dr. Bay. Right. Thank Good you, night, everyone. Good night. If you're interested in finding us on social media or the web, you can visit www.vestibular.today for more resources, including testing, treatment, and educational videos blogs, continuing education classes, and resources including clinic equipment recommendations, suggested tests, and BPMBV treatment charts. Search Vestibular Today and Balancing Act Rehab on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, be sure to check out Balancing Act Rehab at www.balancingactrehab.com, especially if you think you would benefit from vestibular therapy. We are your girls. The information on this podcast is not intended to replace the care provided by your qualified health professional or to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on Talk Dizzy to Me. Please contact us at Balancing Act Rehab if you think you could benefit from vestibular therapy.